Let me just start with a reintroduction of the story that we're in. We are in Ruth, and I just want to bring you back into the place where we've been studying and and get our minds around it and and get this frame of reference, especially for those that haven't been here. Um, But before I do that, I I just want to share a little bit about my week because I I think it it will pertain and, and help bring application later on. I was at the hospital twice this week. Uh, once with uh, seeing a, a man that's very sick. He's uh, part of a family that's, a, that, that's been coming to our church, and, and they called me and asked me if I'd come and talk with him. He's very sick, not sure exactly what's going to happen with him. Uh, but he desperately needs to be reminded of the good news. He's heard it. He's been around a family that's churched. He knows the story, uh, but he needs to be reminded. He, he feels completely unworthy, as we all do. Uh, or should, um, of this love. And so I think that's a great starting place, a, a good place for him to be, uh, to be reminded that God's love is unconditional and that, that Christ's death um, can apply to him if, if he comes in faith. And so I, uh, you know, tried to, tried to speak with him about that. Then I went with Amy third, uh, one night, I don't remember, Thursday night. We were at the ER in the middle of the night. She'd been sick that day and had been vomiting. And Well, I won't go into all the details. Just know that she was not keeping anything inside of her at all. I mean, it was, it was everywhere, and, uh, but not inside of her. Um, and that went on for about eight or nine hours, and every 15 minutes she, she ran out of food. We couldn't get water or anything inside of her to help ease the comfort, and so we went to the ER they found her very dehydrated, uh, gave, her some, gave her an IV and, and some drugs uh, that somewhere around 2 o'clock in the morning she woke up, and I'm still very tired, and um, she was ready to talk, and I was ready to sleep, and it was an interesting, interesting night, but we, we got to come home about 4, or 3.30 we got home, I think, and, and so um, then this week I have been struggling with a cold, and I can still feel it even this morning as I was singing. I'm sure that Cassie appreciated my voice cracking right next to her. A couple times we got high, I, you know, it sounded really good. So I just kind of quit and just praised Jesus inside. But um, anyway, so, you know, I've been dealing with this, and it's been, a, it's been a rough week. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And as I began to think about that, I began to think about the other things that go along with my life and the, and the life that, that my family and I live. Uh, there's obviously them to take care of. There's them to think about. My, my wife and two boys, I, I have to think about them. I have to provide for them. I have to make sure that I spend time with them and lead them in the right way. I have a church to lead, and there's a lot going on with our church. I mean, there's things happening with our church that we need to be praying about. We need to be serving one another. We need to be challenging one another, and I've got to set the example for that. And then I have a job that at times is very demanding, and so this week I was just at the end of it, I was like exhausted, just tired. So much so that I called, uh, I, I, I didn't attend a, a Saturday morning breakfast that I typically would go to. I just woke up and I was feeling the, the drainage in my throat, the soreness in my throat, and I was like, I can't do this. And I couldn't help but think all that we've been talking about over the last two weeks as we've been in Ruth and the suffering that, that, we've, that we've witnessed through the story of Ruth. I, I mean, the, the story begins with, with, with a famine, people who are dealing with problems, and they are hungry. A, a famine in the land of Bethlehem, that, that you know, that, that name means the house of bread. And they had no bread. They didn't have any food. They're hungry. And this man, Elimelech, who is undergoing great stress, wanting to provide for his family, wanting to do a good thing, 
leads his family out of Bethlehem to a land called Moab. And he leads them there so that they can find food. They get there, Elimelech dies. Naomi, his wife, is left a widow, and she's got these two sons to think about. And in that culture, I mean, that's stress, that's suffering, that's something to deal with. Not only is she dealing with the loss of her husband, but now she's got to think about her sons. Because a woman without a husband in that culture, she's all alone. And then her sons take wives. They, they live there in the land for about 10 years, and somewhere along the way, her sons die. And she's left with these two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. And as she's living there, she's she's seemingly all by herself except for these two women. And she thinks and hears of this, hears of things going on in Bethlehem. The, The house of bread, the famine is over and they get bread again. And so she's like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go back to my people. I'm going to go back to where God is working. And honestly, I think that's the best thing that she could have done. I mean, that's something we should learn from. We should think, hey, when we see God working, rather than expecting him to come to us and work where we're at, we better go where he's at. Get up and go there. Because where he's blessing, that's going to be a great place to be. So she gets up and she leaves. And she she leads these two daughters-in-law. And along the way, she sees that, hey, wait a second. She's... Thinking from her perspective, this is not going to be good for them. I'm empty. I'm all alone. There's no one for me. There's no one for them. I better send them home. And so she does. She sends them on their way or tries to. She says, all right, you guys go back. There's nothing for you here. Your life is going to be empty. It's going to be, it's going to be, there's nothing for you. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to provide. And your, your life is going to be worse with me than apart from me. So go home. Orpah, the one daughter-in-law, she, she heeds that advice and she leaves and she goes home. And Ruth, she makes a commitment to stay with her, to move to this land, to live with her, and, and not just to live there, but that the, 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 these people, she would call them her own. Your people will be my people. The God that you worship, the one that you said has killed your husband and killed your sons and left you all alone, that's going to be my God. And? I'm going to stay there even after you die. And I'll die in that place. I couldn't help but think about all of that as as I was thinking about this suffering. Because over the last two weeks, I think that I have probably been a little hard on Naomi. Not not in the sense that, not in the sense that I, I think the things I've said were necessarily wrong about her. But I think it could come across that I was, I was just bashing her because she was suffering. I hope that that's not what you got because suffering is a real deal. It's common to every one of us. We all deal with it. I hope that that's not the way the, the, the teaching has come across. I think Naomi had a problem because in her suffering, she began to ignore everyone else's suffering and she became very introverted about the way she was dealing with it. She gets back to Bethlehem with Ruth in the time of harvest, a great time to arrive at Bethlehem because they got food. God is blessing. He is working. And she tells everybody as they recognize her, don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant, but call me Mara, which means bitter. I am sad. I'm hurting. And I want everybody to know it. And you know what? I want you to feel sorry for me. And I want your sympathy. I want you to think about me. And as she was doing that, she was really disregarding everything that they had all experienced. There was a famine for at least 10 years. 
You can't imagine that this famine went on and people didn't die and that people didn't suffer. It was a famine. That's what happens in famines. These people had suffered as well. Ruth was a widow. She had just left everything behind. Everything she had ever grown up with and ever known, she had left behind. You think that she wasn't dealing with something? You think that she wasn't suffering? Of course she was. Has she sacrificed? Absolutely she was. Has she lost her husband? Absolutely she was. See, I don't want to bash Naomi because she was suffering. I don't want to bash Naomi even for dealing with her suffering the way that she dealt with. I want us to recognize that that's not a, necessarily the best way to deal with it. You see, as I sat and I thought about this week, I, I, I couldn't help but realize I, I've got these problems. I've got these struggles in my life. And the reality is, is that every person sitting in this room has something that they're dealing with. As I sat with that family the other night at the hospital and I talked to the, talked to, to, to the man I'd gone to see, I couldn't help but think about all that this family has gone through. He's not the only one that's been sick, but they've lost someone very important to them recently, in recent days. There's, there's unrest within a marriage in that family. It's just dis disintegrating. It's difficult times. It's hard to deal with. But the thing is, is that as we come together as a community, you know, we need to serve one another in this. We need to reach out to one another and support one another. And, and as you suffer, as I suffer, we need to be blessed. We need someone to stand with us and bear burdens. But as a community of believers, we can never stand in this place where, where we're calling all the attention to ourselves and disregarding everything that's happening around us. It can't be that I'm more, I'm bitter. You just got to look at me. You got to pay attention to me and forget about what you're dealing with. You see, we've got to be in this place where we're willing and, and able in the midst of our dealings and our problems that we're willing to stand with other people and recognize their problems and their troubles. Because the reality is, is it belongs to every one of us. Every person in this room is dealing with something. Every one of you. The stress of life. Some, some not, not, not knowing maybe how you're going to get your next paycheck. Not knowing how you're going to continue to live the style of life you have. Not knowing um, how long your marriage is going to hold together. Not, not knowing uh, uh, what's going to happen. You know, we, we, all, we all probably know someone that's sick. We all probably know someone that, that, uh, that is struggling. It's a reality. So I don't want to come across hard, as, hard on Naomi. I, I want to call attention to the fact that she became very self-centered. And I want, to, I want to call us to a place where, where we become gospel-centered. And we recognize that in the midst of all that's going on, the gospel fixes these things and answers these problems. And because of that, we can stand together victorious because He's victorious. Because our Savior has, has won the victory. And so here they are. They're living in Bethlehem. They're, they're, they're enjoying the, the fruits of their labor. Ruth has stood up and she's gone out to glean. And all that simply means is that she's making a way for them. She's providing food. It, it's, it would be comparable to someone going out on the side of the road and picking up aluminum cans all day long and going and selling the aluminum so that they can go and have a meal. 
See, she's going into the field and she's picking up the leftovers. Everything that's left behind, the law says, has to be left behind. No one can go back and pick it up. The law says that they can't harvest all the way to the edges of the field. This is God's way of showing His grace, providing for those less fortunate. And so Ruth, she goes out every day and she does that. And the very first day she goes out to glean, it just so happens that she stumbles into the field of a man named Boaz. And see, at this point, everything changes. Naomi, who was bitter and empty, as soon as she hears about this, she's ecstatic. She's elated. You're not going to believe this. Boaz? He's a close relative. He's one of our redeemers. You've got to keep going to his field. You've got to keep going there. See, she began to recognize that God hadn't forgotten her. God hadn't left her. She saw God working. And she wanted to stay with that. She wanted, she wanted to keep moving in that direction. And so every day, that's where Ruth is going. Boaz comes up on Ruth. The very first day she's out there gleaning, Boaz walks up and he sees this woman. He says, who is she? Who does she belong to? What family is she a part of? And his, his, his workers, they say, that's Ruth, the Moabite. She came back with Naomi. She's worked her butt off all day. She's been working. She's worked and worked. She took one short break, but she, she's, boy, she's lived up to the reputation that she has. She is, she's a hard worker. And so he invites her over for lunch. And he tells her, I don't want you going anywhere else. I want you to come here and I want you to glean. I've told my men not to touch you. I've told them to protect you. I've told them to watch out for you. And what she didn't know is that later he told his men, hey, make sure that you leave extra food behind. Make sure that you leave plenty for her so that when she goes home every day, she's got an abundance. And that first day she went home, she went home with 30 pounds of barley. That'd be like hitting the mother load of aluminum cans on the side of the road, you know. The, the aluminum can truck tipped over and you got to pick them all up and bring them back and sell them again. That's like, that's what that was like. It's the mother load, you know. I mean, that's a big deal for someone gleaning. And, and, and what we begin to see happening and what we focused on is that God has worked. And he, he wasn't away from them. He hadn't forgotten them in their suffering. He hadn't, he hadn't allowed it to happen for just any old reason. But he began to work so that he could bring about this process that he was working towards in the end of the story. And then and we see those circumstances happen. His providence begin to be revealed as all of these little circumstances and coincidences begin to line up. And suddenly, Naomi is not all alone in the world, but she has a Redeemer. She sees hope. She sees light. She, she sees a way forward. R Ruth, who was told that you'll never have anything ever again. You'll be empty if you come with me. I have nothing to offer. Ruth suddenly has a path forward. She suddenly has this, this future, this hope, this thing to look forward to. See, God just beginning to work and providentially bringing things about Invisibly working through circumstances and situations, through, through seemingly innocent decisions to bring about His will. All so that He could do what He had decreed He was always going to do. And see, that's where we come to today. We pick up the story in Ruth 3. 
That's where we, that's where we come to, where, where we're going to begin to see God providentially bringing about not just Ruth and Naomi's redemption, but redemption for the whole world. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your work in this world. We thank you that you loved us enough to do this work. We thank you that you were, you were thoughtful enough, that you were, didn't forget us, that you didn't walk away and turn your back on us, that you, you didn't stay away from us, that, that you came close, that we might know you, that we might experience you, we might feel you, that we might, that, that we might see you in a sense, and that we would have the hope that this faith that we have would become sight. Thank you. Thank you for your word, the promise that it brings, the truth that it reveals, and the, and the hope that it shows us, that confident expectation that you will follow through, that you will bring about what you plan to bring about. I pray, Father, that as we hear these words today, I pray that you would be glorified, that you would be honored, and that you would reveal truth to us. I pray that as I preach, that I would honor your words, that you would use me as a vessel, that we might be challenged and grown, and that we might recognize again what great, what great reason we have to celebrate. We thank you. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, 
Good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. week two of that video not working right. I'm going to give that up, I think. Um, but here we are. Things have gone the way they've gone. The, the span of time now has been about six weeks from the time that Ruth begins gleaning in the fields to the time that, that uh, the harvest comes. We, we, we skip ahead six weeks. So for about six weeks, every day she goes out, except for the Sabbath, she goes out and she gleans in the fields and she works her tail off providing food for her and, and, and Naomi. But being blessed every day by Boaz and, and his men. And, and as, as time comes, and, and as the harvest comes, and, or, or the harvest comes to an end and the work of threshing happens. See, that's the last thing that, uh, that happens in the harvest. It's time to take all that you've pulled out of the field and beat it until the point that the grain falls away from the plant and then the plant blows away and, and the uh, grain is left and you get, to, you get to start using it. It becomes useful to you. See, this, this time comes where all of this begins to happen and, and Naomi, she's thinking about this and she sees things coming to an end and she's like, well, we've got to act. And, and, and Ruth, I am so concerned for you. I want to do something for you. I mean, consider, consider it. Ruth had been providing for Naomi every day. She'd been bringing food back to their home every day. She loved Naomi already. They had a relationship for a long time. She, she loved, Na or, or Naomi loved Ruth. So now she wants the best for Ruth. She wants, to, she wants Ruth to experience more than, hey, after the end of this harvest, I don't know what's next. I don't know what's going to happen. Isn't it right for me, she says, to want more for you, to provide for you, to, to, to help you find rest, to help you find satisfaction, contentment, to, to bring you to a place where what we are hoping for becomes real. See, that's what she's wanting for her. That's what she says to her in, in the beginning of verse or the beginning of chapter three. My daughter, should I seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with, with whose young women you, you, you were? Isn't he someone who we can count on? Isn't he someone that we can look to for help? Isn't, isn't it okay for me to want the best for you and, and hope that in some way we can find a way for you to be with him in such a way that you will find rest and that you will be provided for? See, Naomi had a plan. Naomi wanted Ruth to get married. 
In that culture, that was the answer for a woman. That was, that was, that was how women were provided for. That was, that was the answer for them. See, Naomi was thinking at that point, she had begun to see God work and God bless and, and, and God do what he, only He can do. And she says, Ruth, this I want for you. I want you to enjoy this. So she begins to spell out her plan. I want you to get dressed up. Oh, wait a minute. Before you get dressed up, I want you to take a bath, which I think is kind of funny because, you know, that's kind of a given for some of us. But, you know, back then, maybe it was a big deal. Take a bath. Put some smell good on. Because you don't smell so good. Put on some nice clothes. And go down to the threshing floor. I don't want you to go down there and hang out and, and make yourself known right away. I want you to go down there and wait and just stand back and hide. And I want you to watch. And, and when, he, when you see Boaz, after he's done eating and drinking, when, when you see Boaz go and lay down, I want you to follow him. I want you to uncover his feet and I want you to lay down at his feet. And then I want you to do whatever he tells you to. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not the father of a daughter. But I'm not going to tell my sons to do anything like that ever. It's risky. I mean, let's just think about the risk. Let's think about the risk. She lives in a place that the, the Bible says are dark days. Remember that from week one? Judges, the very last verse of Judges. And that's the time that this was set. very last ver verse of Judges says, these were dark days. Everybody did as they saw fit. It was a time where it was chaotic. You know, there was, there, was, there was the law. The law had been given. They were God's people. But they had no rule. They had no one leading them. There was no vision for the people. This was, this was a dark time in their history. And it, it just so happens that it was dangerous. Twice already Ruth has been told she's been protected. Once by Boaz. Haven't I told my men not to touch you? Stay in my field. Again, by, by Naomi. Hey, don't go to another field. If he's told his men not to touch you, and you go to another field, you might be assaulted. Now, hey, that sounds pretty dangerous. I, I imagine it to be rape. I don't know if it was anything that serious. But it was physical uh, at least. It was some sort of physical attack at least. But we live in this kind of fear every day for many of us. I mean, many of us, we, we live in a city where crime happens. We're just hearing sirens go by. We don't know what they're for. I mean, it's not as bad as Chicago. It's not as bad as St. Louis or, or, or Kansas City maybe. But how many of you women would get up and go downtown and walk by yourselves at night? Hey, how many men would do that? Some of us. Some of us are a little ballsier than others. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. But the reality is, is that we can kind of understand this. We can kind of feel, we can kind of sense the apprehension. In fact, I, I've even been confronted with this as people have worked with us in the church plant. Not wanting to go to a certain part of the city or not wanting to have a, a building in a certain place, not wanting to have... It's, it's a consideration I'm thinking about as we consider moving. 
I have to think about where are we going to have our building? Is it going to be safe? I, we've even been told by, by one person somewhere along the way, I can't go and help in that ministry because my wife had a dream that I might get killed. Come on. Really? It's, it's, that's the risk. Naomi, she's giving her daughter-in-law a risky plan. She's saying, you go out into this dangerous world and go into a party scene where people are eating and drinking. This was a party. It wasn't like they were just hanging out and beating on some grain. They were having a party. It was a time to celebrate. God had blessed. He had brought, brought, brought food back into their land. And imagine, this wasn't just like any old threshing floor day. This was, this was one that had, had not happened for 10 years. This was the first one in 10 years at least. You can know that they were excited about the anticipation that was coming in having food. You can know that they were looking forward to this moment. You can know that they were partying. They were, they were celebrating that this, this provision had been made. And this is the environment that Ruth is sent into. It's risky. And she's all dolled up. But don't go and make yourself known. Hide. And when he's had his fill of food and he's had enough to drink, watch where he goes and lays down. It's an important detail because if she went to the wrong dude, something bad could have happened. I mean, watch where he goes and lays down. And in the middle of the night, you go to him, uncover his feet. And when he wakes up, do what he tells you. It's still risky. Do you know what men are like? We can be pretty thoughtless, selfish, concerned about one thing. Have you watched television lately? I mean, think about think about what, what's on there to attract men to watching TV. It's risky. I think the only hope in this whole situation. I think the only thing that, that, that this, this whole situation, this whole risky business had going for it was the man that she was going to see. His name was Boaz. We learned about him last week. We met him last week. He is an upright dude. He is the guy that every dad wants their daughter to bring home because he's a godly man. He's a considerate man. He's a compassionate man. He's thoughtful. He thinks of others before he thinks of himself. He's, he's the guy of guys. He's, he's actually the example for us in many ways. Ladies, hear this. Learn from this. He's the guy that you should long to be married to. Now, if you're not married to a guy that's similar to this, pray for him. Don't, don't nag him. That'll make it worse. Pray. Pray, pray, pray. And do what you can to involve him with friends who will challenge him to grow up and be the man that God's called him to be. If you're single, ladies, if you're single, if this man, if, if, if the man doesn't look somewhat like Boaz, if he doesn't have some of these quality traits, think twice. Think twice. But here they are. 
Naomi sending Ruth into this risky situation, wanting the best for her. Wanting, wanting the best for her. I, I want you to find rest. I want you to find, I want you to find happiness. I want you to be content. I want you to be provided for. Now go and do this. There's risk. Could be dangerous. Could end bad. But oh man, if God works, if God does what God does, and He works in the midst of this, He can bring great good out of it. So Ruth looks at her mother-in-law. I'm going to do whatever you say. I'll go and do it. So she shows up down at the threshing floor. She gets all cleaned up and dolled up, and she's looking pretty, and she goes down to the threshing floor. She hides out, and at midnight, he is laid down by the, by the stack of grain. She sees him. She goes to him and covers his feet. She lays down. In the middle of the night, we don't know what happened. Maybe his feet got cold or maybe something happened. He's he startled awake. He wakes up suddenly. And he sees this woman laying there. He's like, who is that? You see, it wasn't uncommon for, at least in, in many of the people that I read from, it wasn't uncommon for prostitutes to come to the threshing floor. It wasn't uncommon for things like that to happen and that this celebration would turn into more than just a celebration of, of, of the, the harvest. Who is that? Who's there? It's Ruth, your servant. Now, Ruth, it's interesting because Ruth has this plan from her mother-in-law. I want you to be provided for. I want you to be taken care of. But Ruth has in mind something a little further, a little more. She's, she's like, Boaz... I want you to spread your wing over me and cover me because you are a redeemer. And to us, that maybe doesn't sound like it's that great of a plan. I mean, what's that mean? It sounds kind of weird. Some people teach that it's got sexual connotations. I think that's absolutely ludicrous. I think that she's asking for his protection. I think that she's asking for him to watch over her. I think he, that in, in, in a sense, she's proposing to him, I want you to marry me because you're a redeemer. And it's that little clause, that little statement that I think brings the greatest importance of all. Because Ruth isn't looking at it just for herself. Ruth, as a widow, would have been okay to go and marry any other man. She could have married any other young dude. She could have gone out and she could have found some hardworking guy who acted like Boaz, who had the same qualities, who, who did the same things, but he was young. Probably wouldn't have a pot, pot belly. Probably would have, would have all of his hair. You know, He'd probably still have most of his teeth. I mean, that's probably the guy she could have got. Boaz was an older man. And when she's asking, I, I, I want you to cover me, I want you to cut, put your wings over me because you're a redeemer, she's not thinking about herself anymore. She's thinking about her family, Naomi. You see, because she didn't need a redeemer. She had nothing in the line of Israel. She had, she had no standing there. She was a Moabite. She didn't even belong to the people. But Naomi, who she loved dearly, when she was married to some other guy, Naomi may have gone, gone with her and been able to live in a house with her. It's possible. But it's also possible she would have been forgotten. She would have been left alone. And everything that her husband had ever had would have been lost to her. She would have been definitely at that point all alone. But Ruth says, I, I want you to do this because you're a redeemer. And Boaz, Boaz is like, wow, this, this thing that you're doing, 
That's amazing. The kindness that you showed before, this, this dwarfs that. This is so much bigger than that. And he's not talking about the kindness of her coming to him and being married. I, I think at some level he's excited about that. I mean, any old guy's excited about a young girl being interested. But the reality is, I think that he's pointing back to the point where she stood with, with Naomi on the way to Bethlehem and said, your people will be my people. Your land will be my land. Your God will be my God. I will be there till I die. That commitment that she made to Naomi, that, 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 that position that she put herself in, that, that promise that she made, and, and, the, and tying herself to Naomi in that way, it became apparent that she meant it. Because she wasn't just running off after some other guy in some other family. She was looking for someone who could take care of her and take care of Naomi. You're a redeemer. You can bring us back to a place, a position that we're meant to be in. You can provide for us. You see, the law of redemption, it was kind of interesting. The law of redemption, uh, uh, it's called the Leveret Law. The, the law was that if a brother-in-law was, or a brother was living with his brother and the brother died and he was married, that this brother would be obligated to take his wife, have children with her, so that this brother, the, the brother that died, so that that brother's name would continue on and so that his land and his possession would remain in that family. I was redeeming them. That's what it was called. It was bringing them back into a position where they could own land and have property and that their name, his name, would carry on throughout Israelite history. That was brothers. In no way was Boaz obligated to this. In no way did Boaz owe this to anyone. But he could exercise this option if he chose to. And Ruth, understanding that at some level, understanding what... what, what the possibility was, asks him for it. Would you be our Redeemer? And Boaz is shocked and surprised. You see, he's not bound by the law to act in this way. He doesn't have to do this. But he is so moved. And his love is, is so real and so pure. Hey, there, there's another one. He's not bound by the law. He observes it, though. There, there's another one that's closer than I am. But you can be sure of this. As surely as God is real, as surely as He lives and works, and as surely as He's the one that brought you to this point, if He won't redeem you, I will. I want you to, I want you to hear that promise. I want, you to, I want you to hear Him giving her that guarantee. I want you to feel that and, and understand in that moment what, that, what she must have been experiencing. She'd been told, there's no one for you. Your life will be empty. There's no hope. There's no way for you. Go home. Leave me. Go home. And suddenly, all that she had seen from her own little perspective, her own little bubble, all that she had seen and thought she understood in that moment, His promise showed her that it wasn't true, that there was a special way, that there was a promise, that there was hope, that there was redemption. And all that had seemingly gone wrong could be set right. Hear that promise. Understand that guarantee. If He won't, 
I will. So she lays down to go to sleep. In fact, it's, it's very important, I think, that we understand this. <clears throat> because Boaz is still protecting Ruth's way. He's still protect, protecting her, her going and her coming. Because he doesn't send her back in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night when the partying is still going on. When, when the party is still happening. He doesn't say go home. He says lay down here and wait. Until everybody's gone to sleep. Until those wee hours of the morning that actually nothing is really going on out. And nobody can see you and recognize you before the sun comes up. And then go because then it will be safe. It will be safe for you physically. And it'll be safe for your reputation. You see, the, the people saw Ruth as a worthy woman. If she had been seen that night at the threshing floor, there would have been much talk. It wouldn't have been true. But there would have been much talk about what's she doing there? What's going on? He's protecting her. He's concerned about her. He cares about her. He's protecting her way. He says, lay down and go to sleep. When the time is right, you'll get up and you'll go. And before she went, he says, all right, now bring your shawl. Bring your cloak. And he loads her up with 60 pounds of barley. She's a tough chick. She's excited about 60 pounds of barley. Some of us would think, oh, i got to carry this all the way home. <laughs> She's excited. He's blessed her again. He sent her home with this guarantee of what he's promised her. He says, this is not just for you, though. It's for Naomi as well. He sends her home, and, and she gets home, and she comes to her mother-in-law, and she says, Naomi, you're not going to believe this. He's going to do it. There's another guy, but he's going to do it if, if this other guy doesn't do it. And look what he gave us. Sixty pounds of barley. We can eat bread for a long, long time. We got food. He's taking care of us. And Naomi, Naomi says, look, Ruth, you can be sure. You can be sure that the day won't finish. The day won't end before Boaz does something about this. He was intentional. He was purposeful. He was moving in, in, in a direction and he wasn't going to stop until he hit a dead end. And, and Naomi knew that about him. Ladies, listen. He's a man's man. Guys, listen. He's a good example. He's who we should long to be, who we should strive to be in a way. To stand and provide, to protect, to comfort, to love unconditionally. But you know what makes Boaz so special? Boaz isn't special just because he's Boaz. But because he's put in place in the Scripture, he's put in our Scriptures as a picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If he was just Boaz, he'd just be another guy. But because in Scripture we, we look back on him and he is foreshadowing the work of Jesus Christ, we can see and we can learn and we can follow his example. He's a godly man who has godly intentions and lives on a godly purpose. And Naomi knew that about him and she says, Ruth, relax. I know there's, there's great reason to be excited, maybe a little anxious, but you can be sure that he will follow through. 
You see, I love this chapter. I love this chapter because in this chapter, there's a transition that happens. There's this transition that happens from seeing God's providence to seeing what God has been doing in a process to bring about his redemption. You see, I, 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 start, I started this whole series out that this is a story of providence and redemption. You see, in this chapter, we, we, we see the transition. We see what God has done. We see the sufferings. We see the experiences. We see the problems. And we see how God has worked in the midst of those things. And he brings about all these little circumstances and coincidences and working through people's decisions. And he brings it all to, all to be to, to, to this point where Ruth is at Boaz's feet. And he says, if that man won't redeem you, I will. You see, we see this providential work begin to bear its fruit to show us redemption. Providence is simply God's working to bring about His will. It's, in, it's His invisible hand. I've heard it described this way. It's His invisible hand at work. Miracles are His visible hand. His providence is His invisible hand at work in the world. It's all around us. You may not experience big miracles where you see God or Jesus walk up to somebody and say, get up and walk. But every day, every day you are living under God's providence. He is working through the decisions you make. He's working through the decisions other people make. All the suffering and all the trials and all the problems that you deal with, He's going to use them for your good. That's His promise for His people. That's providence. And His providence, in His providence, He has this plan. And in this chapter, we begin to see it bear fruit. Because suddenly these women who have struggled, who have suffered, who have had problems and have not known what was going to happen for them, suddenly see the answer provided. If He won't redeem you, I will. And I want, I want to call you, I want to just bring some personal application here. I, I, I want you to see this. I want you, I want you to recognize that this began when Ruth trusted and obeyed her mother-in-law. She knows the risk. She's not, she should, she's not surprised that it's dangerous in the world she lives in. She's not surprised by the fact that, that there are people that, that, that are out there that will harm her. She knows what it is to suffer. She knows the pains of life. And she knows the risky situation that she walks into. She trusts her mother-in-law. She trusts her. She doesn't just believe it. She doesn't just think, oh, well, that's a good idea. She trusts her enough that it gives her steps to begin to move that she actually walks and she follows through. You see, we talk about believing every day. Well, I believe in Jesus. Well, I believe the story. I know it's true. When faith is real, it leads to work. When faith is real, it leads to action. You can't have faith and not have action. Ruth trusted her mother-in-law and she stood up and she walked. And she went to the threshing floor. A risky situation. Faith sometimes does lead us into risky situations. Faith sometimes, it, it does, it does seem like everything could be scary. Everything could be, everything could be uh, dangerous in front of us. It could look like there's great risk to us. But do we really trust that God is a good God who has our good intentions in mind? Or who has good intentions in mind for us? Does he have our best interest at heart? Isn't he a better, better father? Isn't he a better father than Naomi is a better mother-in-law? Naomi, I, I have great care for you, Ruth. I want you to have the best, Ruth. I want to find you comfort, Ruth. Don't you think he's even better than that? 
He is a good and loving God who has done so much to prove His love. We know what His love is in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us that we, and we also ought to lay, down, lay it down for our brothers. That's how we know. And, and would He who gave His Son for us hold back any good thing? If He is for us, who can be against us? There is no risk too great. We buy into a lie when we think we can be defeated because He is victorious. He is victorious. And because of His victory, we have victory. Well, what, if, well, what happens if I go out and it looks like I fail? Did you go out glorifying Jesus? Did you go out following Him as He led? Maybe it didn't work out the way that you wanted to, but I would say you didn't fail. He brings victory. He fulfills His promises. It may look risky. We might have dreams at times that our husbands or wives might get killed. I think that's a little exaggerated in our culture. But He is bigger than that. He is more powerful than that. He can work greater things than that. I mean, you hear stories of missionaries going off all the time. Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China, gave his life to it. Didn't fail. Many of the people who look back on his work in China recognize that that was the foundation for the massive revival that is going on there. Millions of people are being touched with the gospel. <coughs> Excuse me. Millions of people are coming to a place where they are converting to faith. They're leaving their godless ways, leaving everything they've been taught in their lives, and they are turning to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They are being converted, finding repentance. There is no risk that he can't overcome. Sometimes it's going to look risky. Sometimes it's going to look dangerous. But sometimes, sometimes we need to take the risk. And we need to follow. And we need to obey. And we need to live the life that he's called us to live. Not just that. That faith, that faith that we enjoy and that we love, it leads to redemption. Man, I got a little worked up. It leads to redemption. It, 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 Jesus tells us, how, 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 do I, how do I become a Christian? How do I know? He says, believe, repent and believe. Turn from everything you've always known. Turn and leave it and, and, and walk away from it and trust. Believe in me. That's, that's what he says. <clears throat> By grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourselves so that no man can boast. This grace that God has shed on us, this, this grace that He has shown us, He says, I appropriate it through faith. I, I, I bring it through people who believe, people who, who, who trust in me. They're the ones who experience this great grace. They're the ones who enjoy this. They're the ones who, who receive the promise. Faith leads to redemption. Faith leads to work even in the face of risk. Faith 
brings us to this God who's not bound to redeem you. He, like Boaz, was not bound to redeem you. He didn't have to do this work. He chose to do this work. He had every right. He had every right at the, at the fall of his creation. When Adam and Eve rebelled, he had every right not to go in that garden and ask them what happened. He had every right to know, how they failed, I'm done, and walk away. He had every right to turn his back and close the door on his creation. But he chose to redeem. He chose to do this. He wasn't bound to do this. People get so angry and, and they point their fingers at God and they say, oh, this suffering. I, I, I can't believe a good God would allow suffering. We, we know this. We've studied this. Suffering is, it exists because sin exists. Suffering is real because sin is real. He's not bound to take any of it away. He doesn't have to do anything. But we can thank Him that He does. Imagine this world. Try to imagine this world if God were to remove His grace from it. In just a few generations after the creation, after Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden, just a few generations after that, about 1,900 years actually, God is looking down on the creation and the thoughts of mankind were evil all the time. And he was grieved. He wasn't bound to do jack. He could have walked away. But he chose to redeem. And since he's the one choosing, he's the one that gets to say how it works. He's the one that gets to say, you know what? If you're going to enjoy this promise, you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to believe in me. You're going to have to, to, to look at all those godless things in your life, all of those things that, that seemingly would fulfill and that would excite you and that, that would bring some sort of promise. You're going to have to look at all those things and you're going to have to recognize that they are false and that they are failing. And you're going to have to accept me as God. You're going to have to repent of all the godless things. You're going to have to turn to me as God and trust in me. Thankfully, He helps us in that. Thankfully, He gives us the power to believe, the eyes to see, the ears to hear. Thankfully, He's not left us alone in our godless ways, but He wakes us up and He says, believe, so that we can believe. And that faith, it leads to redemption. It leads to us knowing salvation, being brought back into a proper relationship with Him. Being, being brought back into this place where we are no longer distant, we are no longer away, that we are no longer separated, but that He comes and He lives in us. And He teaches us and He shows us truth. And He opens our eyes and He grows us up. And He, he matures us and He makes men men and women women. And he, and, he, and he helps us fulfill the roles that He's always given for us. He's called us to worship. To go and make other worshipers. To love one another. To serve one another. To live as family and honor Him in our relationships. He redeems us to us and redeems us to one another. And He redeems us to this mission, to this purpose that we have to go and share. To, to go and tell others of this truth so that as they come to believe, they're brought into this family and they too are redeemed. And they too are brought into a place where they are served and they, and, and they are blessed. 
They're brought into a place where they recognize God as God and, and not just some distant and, and, and horrible uh, creator, but as a loving Father who chose to redeem them, to bring them back into right relationship. Every one of us, every one of us that live this life, we struggle. My, my story is no different than any others. The circumstances may be different. The things that I experienced this week, it may be different. But the truth that comes through this chapter in Ruth is that God has providentially ordained things in my life that I might come to a place that I see Him and have reason to celebrate because of this great news that He has given me. He's redeemed me. He's made me His own. And that truth is true for you as you come in faith. He's providentially brought it about. It's no accident that you believe. It's no accident that you came to a place where you understood the truth. He providentially ordered it so that you might stand one day and celebrate because of this redemption that He's working out for you in the whole scheme of restoration, in the whole scheme of making all things new. And so as you sit here today and you recognize the struggles and the trials and the, and the problems, I want you to think again. I want you to think again about where we've been as we've walked through this book. We've seen that suffering is because sin is. We've seen that grace is because God is. <clears throat> and now we see that redemption is because grace is. You see, it's out of His goodness. It's out of the generosity of God that He showed us this, that He provided this for us. If God was some horrible creator that didn't care, He would have walked away. But out of His grace, He says, I choose to redeem. And He did this work so that we could know Him, so that we could enjoy Him, so that we could live in relationship with Him. And now He says, all you need to do is believe. Trust. Trust. Every head bowed and every eye closed. <clears throat> Everyone sitting in here knows the trials of life. You know what it is to, to feel suffering and to feel pain, to have questions, to feel doubt. I hope that you hear the promise in Ruth 3. Boaz redeemed Ruth. Jesus Christ is redeeming you.